2: FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Thursday edition of the Michael Duke show still locked in a deep freeze here. I mean, I moved away from Fairbanks so I could get away from all this cold weather. But man, uh, was like 16 below here at the house this morning. And uh, oh, I'm ready. I'm already ready for spring. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, I'm just not used to it. I'm a wuss now, man. I used to live in North Pole where it was like fifty below for weeks at a time, and it, you shrug it off. And I'm not anymore. Not anymore. Oh man. Anyway, welcome to the program, and thanks for coming in. We got a jam-packed show for you today. We are, uh, boy, we're jumping in with both feet. We're going to get a little bit of a sneak peek at the uh, at the legislative races today with our first fresh candidate of the year. Uh, Leslie Hadukovic is going to be joining us here in uh, just a minute. As we talk about her run for Senate, she's running for Senate District P, which is up in the interior. It covers most of the downtown area and everything. It's a seat currently held by the perennial candidate, Scott Kawasaki. And uh, we'll see what uh, <clears throat> we'll see what she has to say. This should be some interesting stuff. Uh, I kind of like this uh I kind of like this uh, synergy of what happens sometimes when the legislature's in session and the incumbents can't really say anything, but the new candidates are out there free and clear to navigate. And I kind of like that because it gives them a chance to really get some momentum against, uh, you know, the power of the incumbency. So we'll see. We'll see what that we'll see what comes from that. We'll talk with Leslie about, uh, well, a little bit of everything. ticks, lunatics, politics, whatever we want to discuss, it's all there. Then in hour two... <clears throat> It's the Shower Hour of Power. That's right. State Senator Mike Shower will be joining us for his update on what's happening down in Juneau, being part of the unrecognized super minority. <laughs> I just, every time I think about Shower and, and, and Rob Myers and, uh, and Shelley Hughes, all I can think about is the kids who are sitting in the corner with the little pointy dunce caps, you know, uh, because I just feel like that's how the majority of the Senate is treating them. Uh, they're still working hard. They're still doing a lot of stuff. We had a conversation with Shelley Hughes on Monday that kind of covered some of the things that they're working on. But it I just imagine that's just gotta be an exercise in ultimate frustration. So I, you know, look, I served on a borough assembly for five years, and it was people say, What's it like? I'm like, Well, see that door, just slam your hand in that door until you're unconscious, and then when you wake up, start again. That's what it's like. And that pretty much summed up my entire political I mean I did it for all the right reasons but at the end I was like oh my god what have I done uh they called me Dr. No for a reason <coughs> I just it was no no I would vote no 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 more no more money anyway so that's kind of what's coming up tomorrow is firearms Friday I am working on a guest but boy do we we've got a bunch of stories we can talk about tomorrow anyway lots of stuff happening in the firearms news um including this latest resolution from the Matsu borough which is encouraging borough residents to arm themselves and get ammunition and, and a firearm and get training because we've got a significant dearth of troopers in the Matsu. Some areas of the Matsu requiring a wait of over 90 minutes, almost two hours, for a trooper to show up at their house. And uh, they're suggesting that you may be, you may be one responsible for yourself. You might want to be in the driver's seat on that. So we'll talk about th- that tomorrow. All right. <clears throat> all things being said let's uh let's get to it shall we I see that Leslie Hydukovich is in the uh, green room uh, she's in there drinking my virtual coffee or or she's drinking her own real coffee and eating my virtual donuts so let's see what uh let's see what uh what it looks like and get things started for this morning and uh get cracking shall we let's welcome her to the program Leslie Hadukovic, uh our guest this morning good morning Leslie how are you
1: Good morning from Fairbanks, Michael.
2: Oh man, you guys in Fairbanks, I, you know, I love Fairbanks. I mean, a born and raised, you know, spent my whole life there pretty much. Well, I, I like to tell people, I said I spent forty-five years there, and then the warden paroled me, you know, so I was able to. Uh, <laughs> To move off a little bit uh but uh yeah I, I i love fairbanks but boy you guys in the weather up there i, I see what 37 I so, 40 what is it 35 Michael, you
1: said you had minus minus 16 so we've got double that yeah minus 32 <laughs> at my house i'm looking at it right now
2: so yeah. i used to not be a wuss i mean literally the year before i left uh north pole and moved down to the MatSU. It was 57 below or colder at my house for more than three weeks solid, and I was like, "Okay, I'm ready to go." If it ha- if that happened now, I mean, I just might go into a coma. I just don't even know at this point. So, all right, Leslie. Well, let's, uh, you know, let's get started. Well, it's
1: great. It's great to be here, Michael. It's yeah. great to see you. Yeah. And you know, when you were on the assembly, I believe. I think it matched up where I was on the school board. So we were both kind of being tortured a little bit,
2: man. I so, tell you, that's, a, um, that's a painful process, isn't it? Sometimes you're just like, <laughs> you just want to grab people and go, do you understand what's happening? Uh, anyway, uh, it is what it is. Uh, you, uh, are uh, much more of a masochist than I am. have decided to continue on here. Um, but let's, uh, let's get a little bit of background. Uh, uh, you know, the Hadukovich family, I mean, our families have known each other for decades, yeah. Um, and so we've been around for a while, although I am, I'm a little jealous. I'm I, like, I'm a third generation Alaskan. My grandmother <laughs> was born there. Right. Leslie's a fifth. Gen- I mean, you got some, you got some roots back there, sister. So give us, I know. Give us a little I bit know. of a background here and, and tell us, uh, <clears throat> tell us a little bit about yourself for folks who don't know who you are, or, you know, who you are, where you are, where you came from. Give us a little bit of background here.
1: Well, and all you know, my maiden name is Ween. So um I am I am the daughter of Richard and Sally Ween, yep. who you probably know. Oh yeah. Um, but interestingly enough, Michael, my fifth generation roots come from Sally. Um and her maiden name is O'Neill. And um her great great grandfather, I believe that would be, came through uh, Cordova for the gold rush. And so it's it's through her that um, I'm a fifth generation Alaskan. So um, long history. Her um, yeah, the O'Neill family, which is uh, a was a big name in Anchorage. Um, she was raised in Anchorage, and then um, of course my my father, his parents were Noel and Ada Ween, and Noel was a pioneer bush pilot who came to Alaska in 1924. He did the first flight between anchorage and fairbanks it'll be a hundred years the anniversary of the first flight a hundred years this summer yeah and kind of incredible isn't it and um the railroad had just been put in and that summer it was a smoky summer and so he took off from what is now the park strip in anchorage um took off in an open cockpit biplane and uh, ran into smoke, I think, somewhere around uh, Healy Ninana, but ended up following the railroad into Fairbanks. So, um, so, anyways, long history. Um, and the other thing I'd mention is my my uh, grandma Ada Ween, who Noel married. She's a born and raised in Nome, and uh, she ended up uh, marrying Noel, the aviator. And uh, and ended up serving on the constitutional convention, one of six women who helped write our constitution. And she was so incredibly proud to be in Alaska and to be so honored to do to do that and represent. And both Noel and Ada um, loved Alaska, and they flew back in 1958. I believe it was 58 that the vote for statehood was and uh flew back to dc so they could be there for the vote
2: well it's crazy stuff it's uh you know it's not often that you find folks who've got uh, such deep roots in alaska you know and and it's good to it's good to see that you're still involved still talking about stuff uh you've got a little bit of background as you said you served on the school board and uh you've been uh, working i know in senator uh, uh uh sullivan's office uh as well as one of his uh, coordinators there in the local area and so yep. y- you've got you've got some uh, you've got some some history here and some and some insight into how the process works. So, Leslie, uh, good. Uh, this is my favorite question to ask, you know, new not new politics, you know, folks running for a I new mean, office. Right. Yeah. And I haven't
1: been listening, Michael. So I'm like brand new. I'm okay. just like, all right. OK, all right, so here's we'll the see. question.
2: When exactly did you lose your mind? and decide that you wanted to jump into this, uh, you know, this big thing of the state, you know, going from school board to state Senate, a huge leap. And, uh, but what, you know, what, what triggered you? What said, was it one thing? Was it a combination of things or was there a straw that broke the camel's back? What made you say, I think I'll run for state Senate and, uh, and do that. So give it to us.
1: Well, let me say first, it was not my idea. This fall, I'm you know I'm duck hunting, I'm berry picking, I I'm taking watercolor classes, I'm doing uh, Pilates. So this was not it was not in my plan. It honestly was not. And um, some good folks here in Fairbanks began calling me uh, October, November, and they said, "Would you consider running?" And my first answer was, uh, "No, <laughs> no." Um, why would I want to do that? Um, but, uh, a couple more people called. And as I told my husband, Bob, uh, married, we'll be married 35 years, by the way, this uh, summer, my husband, Bob, I said, you know, Bob, we, we need to do our due diligence on this. And, and, you know, part of that history, just having told you what I told you, you know, about my, uh, my grandparents and the people who came before me. I mean, part of that kind of comes into play and, and community service. It's just, I think sometimes people it's in you and it definitely is in me because I love the state. I love my community. Yeah. So we began talking about it and we're kind of both semi-retired we, our kids are grown. We've raised three boys. Um, and they're grown. We don't have any grandkids yet. Um, I, I don't know that my decision might be different if I had grandkids, yeah. but it, like, we don't have any grandkids. And, and so, and then the other, the other piece to this, so just the community service, the other piece that really got me out of my chair is thinking about four more years of, uh, the person that sits in the seat. yeah, And that is, um, you know, it's, it's been a frustration, I think for me and for others here in Fairbanks, and um i think it's time to retire senator uh, kawasaki yeah. and um he he has been in the legislature for 17 years this year that's a long time that's a career politician and um you know the founders the people who wrote our constitution um you know they called it a citizens legislature and that is that is not what that is <clears throat> and right. um, so that's-, that's really what got me out of my seat the other piece and i'll tell you this michael is that he um it's a presidential election year and and um he hasn't had to run for the senate seat in a presidential election year so those were kind of the factors and it certainly took me some time
2: uh, yeah a couple months actually to really there is almost a felt obligation isn't there i mean like you said with the history of your family my grandfather was uh who's my one of my personal heroes Uh, was, you know, he served on the Fairbanks borough assembly. He was the mayor of Fairbanks for a while. And so I felt like there was, that was kind of one of the tipping points for me when I decided to run was that, well, if he did it, I, you know, I, I feel like I have to kind of follow in his footsteps and do the best I can kind of thing. So I, I definitely understand that. And it is interesting, you know, when you look at the metrics of it being a presidential year and stuff, we've got, there's great opportunity here. So it's it's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be good. We're gonna continue here with Leslie Hadukovic here in just a few moments. If you'd like to go out and find out a little bit more about her, there's not a lot on her webpage yet, but you can go out there and you can get a little bit of details. It's Leslie for AlaskaSenate.com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E for AlaskaSenate.com. Leslie Hadukovic is our guest, and we're gonna continue here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Don't forget, you can also join us on Facebook if you'd like to join us in the chat room. We'll see if the uh, folks in the chat room have any questions during the break. Uh, we'll uh, we'll ask some questions and d- get some stuff, and it- it'll be fun. It'll be stuff. It'll be great. Uh, we'll be back with more in just a moment with Leslie Hadoukovich, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. Back with more right after this.
0: Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show.
2: Okay, we're in the break right now. Leslie Hadoukovich is our guest. Uh, Leslie, when you hear the bell, the sounds like a ringside bell when you hear that, that means we're 30 seconds from getting back to the radio. So we need, we'll wrap up whatever we're talking about in the meanwhile. Uh, I see. Brian says, "Pronounce her name again. It's Hydukovich. That's how I was always <laughs> taught to do." it. So is is that right? Am I? That's hitting, perfect. That's I, That's what I was like. You know, you're hitting it. Uh, I know. Even I have a hard time. I had to make sure that I looked at the thing when I spelled it because you could never, you know, figure it out. But uh, right. It's uh, it's always good. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Ween family. I mean, I, <clears throat> my, uh, my aunt and uncle had a place right next to. Uh, uh, your folks, and so I mean, we spent a lot of time, you know, uh, with the, with the family. There's a lot, you know, some of the a lot of the older Alaska families, they're all kind of intertwined at some point, uh, uh, you right? Know, interconnected <laughs> at one point, so it's all good. Uh, it's a small state. It is, is it is, you know. And I'm and I'm, I was really happy to see your name thrown in the ring on this uh, when I first got the notification, um, and uh, and I and I'm glad. I think we could use some new blood uh, in the legislature. Right. Um, and, and some changes, uh, you know, we've got, well, we got some challenges, you know, we've changed out, um, uh, Leslie, we've got something on this program called the charter of changes. There are the four things that I think that need to change, which we'll get into here in just a little bit. And we'll ask you about it, but just so you are prepped for what they are, there are four changes that I believe that need to happen. We need to change the players, which means changing out the legislators, Which we've done. 31 percent of the legislature's changed out in the last five or six years. So I think that's a good thing. I think we should change the venue. And what I mean by that is not moving the Capitol. But I think we should put the legislative sessions on the road system where 85, 90 percent of Alaskans Mm -hmm. can actually access them in a face to face, uh, you know, nature. Uh, I think we need to change the rules, which means uh, we should eliminate the binding caucus. We should uh, we should change and take a look at the conflict of interest rules and the open meetings act. All three of those things should be looked at yeah. because the legislature, you know, they've exempted themselves from most of the laws that I mean. You had to apply, you had to, you know, adhere to it. I had I to adhere to it. Uh, I know. And then the fourth one is to change the is to change the funding, which means I think we should. I think the governor should ha- should do the budget a little differently. I think it should be more of a zero based budget or not predicated mm. on. You know, the pie in the sky, what we think the price of oil is going to be next year kind of thing. So those are the four changes. And we'll talk about that um, later on here uh, on the program. Um, uh, but because I, I always like to ask that we'll do that in the last segment. But, uh, yeah, so those are those are the things that we're going to do it. My dad says, welcome to the fray, Leslie. So he's <laughs> my dad's in the chat room oh right now. I, say, yeah.
1: I there there have been some moments like, what am I doing?
2: Yeah. No, but it's um, a heavy But list. you
1: know, it's, it's for a good cause. It's for our state. It's for our community. It's, you know, uh, good people need to run and, and, um, you know, I'm not a divider. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, working with different personalities and just even with my work in Sullivan's office, uh, you know, hearing from constituents and, you know i mean i kind of focused on federal issues so i've really happily in some ways turned a blind eye to the state issues so um yeah,
2: yeah see that's that's, that's, that's exactly that's exactly how we are exactly opposite on this show i decided about six seven years ago that i could do so little for national issues yeah. that most people yeah. most average persons i know, I know they get you all wrapped vote. up about what you can yeah, that's all you can do is that's vote. all you can do right i mean everything else is just theater right And it is what's led to to the divisiveness that I think we see in the country is everybody's so focused. And then they forget about what's happening in their own backyard, the stuff that affects them every day. So that's why five or six years ago, I dedicated myself to focusing strictly on state and local issues for the most part. I do firearms Friday, which is a national thing. But <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it it it's just it it's frustrating. And this is where people can make a difference. Yeah, Senator Rob Myers is in the chat. He just reminded me. I said in just the last few years, but in the last since twenty sixteen, in the last eight years, sixty four percent of the legislature's been changed out. Yeah, we're still having some of the same problems because there's some old school play. I mean, seventeen years, that's nothing twenty five years now for for Gary Stevens and some of these other guys. I mean, folks who are just kind of they're holding the reins of power and they're making the business as usual moves. And I it, it you know, it's it is what it is. All right. <clears throat> Leslie, I'm sorry I kind of monopolized some time there talking about the charter. <laughs> That's okay. You're a talk show host. I am. That's you know, it's the only <laughs> job I could have. Uh all right. We're gonna uh, get back into it. We're four seconds out. Uh Leslie Hitnukovich is our guest, the Michael Duke show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Here we go.
0: The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Duke's
2: and the show. That's right. Not your daddy's talk radio, although my daddy is watching. He's in the chat room hanging out with us this morning. And we are joined this morning by Leslie Hydukovich, who is running for Senate in District P, which is up in the Fairbanks area. Uh, And we're going to get into it with her right now. Uh, We just found out why she decided to run and everything else. Let's get into some of the issues. Leslie, we, you know, there's lots of things happening right now. And the Senate, especially uh, those of us who are conservatives are feeling a little bit left out, especially those in the MatSU. Mike Schauer is my senator. And I feel like. Me and every one of the other constituents of people like Shower and Myers and Hughes have been disenfranchised by the uh, by the majority because they're shutting the conservatives out and shoving them off to the side. And then now they're working with Democrats. In fact, there's actually a majority in the majority of uh, of this of the Senate. A majority of them are Democrats. And it's a little frustrating. And so we know that there's going to be some issues there and everything else. But. Let's talk uh, uh, first and foremost about what your big issues are as you go into, I mean, let me wave my magic wand and say you get elected. What does it look like coming into next year for Leslie Hadoukovich? What kind of you know, organization are we going to be looking at? What is going to be the priorities? Uh, give me your thoughts.
1: You know, uh, one thing I've learned so far is that things change. Things are changing daily in Juneau. It's kind of amazing. I've been tuning into gavel to gavel and trying to, you know, stay up to speed. So, so who knows what what the case will be um, by next session? Um, but I just want to mention you mentioned Rob Myers, Senator Myers. I had a great chat with Rob a couple of weeks ago before he left, and um, great lunch with him. And so, uh, you know, I just appreciated the chance to. To learn his perspectives and you know and understand more, and I'm I'm literally drinking through a fire hose just trying to like kind of get up to speed on some of these issues, um, but but I hear you and I you know I am a rep- lifelong Republican, um, I consider myself a fiscal conservative, and um, you know I I would love to see a Republican uh, caucus and you know and if if changing this seat can help that then you know, what a great thing. Um, I'd rather kind of, I'd rather duke it out with fellow Republicans in, in the caucus than, uh, you know, than trying to combine. And I know other people feel differently, but, um, you know, I'm a fiscal conservative. I'm a, you know, pro-resource development, responsible resource development. I do feel education needs to be funded. And I know there's a bill that's moving through from the House that's moving along there. And we'll see where that comes into play energy cheap energy is so key for us here in the interior and i know it's becoming more of an issue for people right uh, in anchorage and the valley it's you know it's it's the top issue for many of us i think and um i know we talk about it a lot and uh but we got to keep striving for those solutions in my opinion and um you know and and yeah you know natural gas just we, we keep coming back to that. Um, you know, I'm not a um you know, I'm I'm pro coal. I don't know if that's okay to say, but right, you know, right. Uh, you know, the Usabelli coal mine and the and the work they've done down, down there, clean burning coal, um, you know, it gets a bad name nationwide, but that's not the case for well, we've got here, some of so. the
2: we've got some of the cleanest coal in the world actually uh, <laughs> here, and yet they're going to shut down the power plants and everything else and make it harder for folks. To, it, it's a frustrating thing. Let's let's dissect this. Let's uh, let's get uh, a little bit more min- into the minutia a little bit here of this specifically. Now you've served on a school board, so you're familiar with education issues, um, yep. and we know that from the Senate that their priorities are in order um education funding that's the first thing that they, that's all they want to talk about is education funding then they want to talk about the return of defined benefits to the state for state employees um and then they want to talk about uh, like you said the energy issues you know they want to see if there's a way to incentivize or do some of these other things uh, so let's start with education um you know I, i'll be honest with you leslie I mean, I'm I'm smart enough to be able to understand some of the things that that uh, go on behind the scenes and how budgets are made. You know, I've done I've been through this process. I've watched what school boards and districts have done. And I get a little tired of this mantra that we keep seeing in the newspapers and the various media outlets about how education just hasn't it just hasn't gotten its funding. It just it, it's it's you know, they haven't seen a raise in so and so, so many years. But if you look back at the numbers over the last 20 years. You know, education has received almost a 30 percent increase in 20 years. We're spending billions of dollars. It is the second largest expenditure in the state on education with over twenty thousand dollars per student being expended. And so while I understand that we have to keep up with things and that there's an increase at times, you know, I got to ask the question. I mean, how much money do we have to mean that's raising the B.S.A.? The problem is, of course, the raise in the BSA with no accountability as to the outcomes of the students. I mean, this is a problem. So, wh- where where do you sit on this uh, on this suggestion that we need a eleven hundred dollar raise, twelve hundred dollar increase of in the BSA? And that's the only way it's going to happen. And otherwise, we're all going to die. I mean, that's essentially what they're, you know, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria kind of thing. Uh, you know, we'll all be out on the streets if for some way we don't get this done. What are your thoughts on education? And, and is there a special amount? Should there be more accountability and should they be delivering a good product instead of 48th, 49th, fiftieth percent, you know, of all the states where we sit right now in education outcomes? What are your thoughts?
1: Right. I mean, accountability, I think everybody wants accountability and that's a key, I think, in education. It was on the school board. I mean, it was uh, my time on the school board. I mean, we talked about raising student achievement, you know, lowering the dropout rate, um, you know, the achievement gap, all those things. I do think so. So to the larger funding issue, and I know they, the, um, the house has a $300 increase to the BSA in their current bill. And um, I'll just say this, I know there's been, you know, one-time funding the last, I don't know how many years, but one-time funding. I know sitting on the school board that that I'm just putting myself in their shoes. That can be great, even though I know, you know, a pandemic happened. I know they got federal funding. That funding is now running out. But you know, the BSA is what you can count on. So I do think a, a smaller increase to the BSA is needed so that school districts can plan. I think that's a big piece of it. Um, to that larger amount, I I don't know about that. And I would have to really study the issue, um, you know, I think where they're starting. And I think, uh, you know, I think the, the House members have said, okay, you know, because that's a commitment. That's a long-term commitment. And where is the money coming from when you make that long-term commitment right and then i want to talk about i know the governor has talked about um charter schools are having a little bit more oversight on charter charter schools which i i do understand i understand you know the motivation there um you know in fairbanks i think every district is different and our charter schools have been pretty successful here um and i know when i was on the school board we approved um at least one new charter school um i think it was watershed and um so i think that's doing pretty good but i guess i understand his um his desire to have a little bit more oversight on that right
2: um I think it's so, a little bit I think it's more of a little bit more choice. The problem with having charter schools only be approved by a local school board is that essentially you have a competitive thing going on there where the school board feels like it's going to be competing with their with their public schools and and so they have a they have a they're disincentivized to start and we've seen charter schools across the country or historically they're doing fantastic. They're generally speaking doing much better than the brick and mortar public schools and in many places there is a third party Uh, Arbiter that can approve a charter school whether it's a community council whether it's a state government whether you know And so I think they're just trying to bring us into that You know into that area and we saw what happened with the Anchorage school district where they basically De-chartered a school there that was doing fantastic and that seemed very punitive and I think that's in part This is a response to that to say you've got to have some outside control so people have another choice
1: Yeah, that's right and and that's kind of what i've been hearing and um And, you know, the the other thing, too, and it's something because of my time on the school board is um, as far as public education, the students that I never want to forget are those students whose parents are either both working or maybe it's a single parent and they go to that neighborhood school and they're not going to, you know, the parents aren't going to be able to drive them to the charter school or do the commitment of a homeschooling program. So I just that's I don't ever want to forget those students sure. because that's our, usually our lower socioeconomic group that, um, that is the group you want to keep bringing along because it's, you know, as a parent for somebody like me, I mean, I was involved in every aspect of my kids' schooling sure. and, and right now, you know, I would really look at all options if I had kids going to school right now.
2: Should there... And i Yeah. Yeah. I say, should there be an accountability uh, aspect, though, of the monies being put? And this was actually voted on last last session, uh, you know, uh, Senator Schauer. And they put in a, a thing that said, OK, well, we'll we'll vote uh, in favor of your increase for the BSA. But there has to be accountability measures that say right. you, you have to hit certain metrics. And that was yeah. just summarily voted down by everybody. It's like we want the money, but we don't want any accountability. And the fact right. is, is that most of the monies that are coming through the BSA are not making it into the classroom, less than 50%. Uh, in some cases, it's down as low as 40% is all that's making it into the classroom. And and that's a huge, huge, especially when it's supposed to be for base student allocation, and the implication from every news story and every talking point and every press release says, oh, we need this for the kids, but it looks like most of it is going to overhead and staff, administrators, those kind of things. and And that's really kind of thrown, it used to be that there was a mandate that 70% of the BSA amount had to be spent in the classroom. And that Mm. got removed in the late nineties. And I don't know why other than Mm. the school school, you know, uh, education, uh, you know, industry wanted to have more use of that money for other things. And of course, since then we've seen kind of the teacher, you know, the teacher rate go down like this and the, uh, and the overhead and administrative staff go up like this to where now we've got two to three administrators for every, for every teacher. It's gotten mm-hmm. super top heavy. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Should there be an accountability issue? And should more of that money be mandated to go directly into the classroom?
1: Yeah, and that's, you know, I I didn't know that that change was made. Uh, maybe that is something I should have known. But but I'll tell you this, Michael, is that when I was on the school board and I remember going to Juno. And advocating for school funding, or just you know talking about schools, and I see you know board members were down there this uh, this week at least from Fairbanks, and um, I remember going into legislators' offices and them saying, "Listen, we <laughs> we need accountability." And I remember you know at the time thinking, "Okay, okay, so they you know they want to see this, and we would we would offer that." Now thinking about going into that position. That's what I'm going to be asking (laughs) because it has to be, it ha you, you, we can't just, we can't just throw money, you know, and hope for the best. And, and I think, I think there's frustration. And I think when I look at the education system, I I'm just going to focus on, you know, local, like you and I were talking earlier, it's like local, you can talk about nationwide, you know, but local and, it is a it's a constant challenge to continue to raise those um, you know the graduation rates and and you know I see the you know the governor's Reads Act um, you know that was instituted in the last couple of years I was reading up on that and just making sure that our um, early elementary kids are getting what they need so those things having those things in place I think is a start and making sure that we can you know meet those accountability
2: um, right. you know levels. Right. Well, and the big question that nobody seems to be asking is who pays for all this? Where does the money come from? Right. We're already, according to DOR, projected revenues and where we're going. We're already going into deficit spending starting the next year, this year, next year. We're already in deficits. We've drained the CBR. We've drained the SBR. We've taken almost all of the PFD. And once all of the PFD is gone, there are no more pots of money to draw from. So who pays in the long run? And, you know, what does that look like? You you got about two minutes here.
1: Right. And, you know, I'm not a big tax person. Um, You know, I'm a fiscal conservative. And um, and so the all of those things are going to be in my mind. They certainly are in my mind as I'm beginning to learn about this process. And where does that money come from? And and if you want to do this, you may not be able to do this. And uh, so. The, they're big, complex issues. And, you know, I was thinking the other day that, uh, you know, that some of these topics that are really difficult, if they were easy, we would have already solved them. You know, they're right. they're complex, they're difficult, they're multifaceted. We have a large state. You know, look at all, look at the regions of our state and understanding how to educate kids back, you know, keeping with education, you know, in Fairbanks, in Anchorage, in Southeast, in the rural, in Bethel. Um all different, you know, different circumstances and making sure we can have a statewide effort that raises our achievement, you know, make sure our kids are educated and can go on and do the jobs that we need them to do and may and hope that they'll want to stay. You know, that's kind of what I'm about long term.
2: Leslie Hadoukovich is our guest. She's running for the State Senate in District P, which is uh, Fairbanks, uh, downtown Fort Wainwright, the interior. It's a current seat held by Scott Kawasaki. We're going to continue with her and talk in just a moment about the Charter of Changes and what her thoughts are. And can she support? Can she commit to those ideas? Does she fall in line? And we'll find out. Uh, That's all up next. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Leslie Hydukovich continues in just a moment
0: listen to by more staffers in Juno than any other show because their bosses told them to and after what they just heard oh man they're gonna be best you're a bad bad man. The Michael Duke show.
2: That's one thing you're going to have to get ready for, uh, Leslie, is that if you do appear on the show from time to time, somebody will be listening and they will take you to task. <laughs> they will take you. Here's what you said I, on the Michael, Michael Duke
1: show. I told, I told a couple people, I said, I'm going on the Michael Duke show. And, you know, I I honestly have not listened to you since you left Fairbanks just because my routine or whatever. No problem. So anyways, I, I was like, what? wait, what? What? What are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. Is that a bad thing? Um, (laughs) So,
2: Well, some of the – I will say some of the business as usual crowd in the Republican Party because I've been a little hard on the Republicans. I'm a libertarian, right? So I've never been a registered Republican. Uh, But I've been a little hard on the Republican Party because – quite honestly they're part of the problem at this point the party itself and some of the members yeah. who have the r next to their name yet they continue to do policies that to me it's not r's and d's in the senate or in the in the in the legislature to me it's the people who are more more government spending versus less government spending, you know, more pro yeah. more. We're focused on the government economy and to hell with the private economy and those who are like the private economy needs to thrive so that we can help support the government economy. I mean, that's, you know, and that's I think that's part of the problem is that I've taken some of these Republicans to task and they don't like that, uh, you know. Yeah. But if you have an R next to your name and you're you're ostensibly supposed to support the party platform, yet you're continuing to expend huge amounts of money you know vote yourself a 67 percent pay raise do you know and which again talk about tone deaf did nobody read the room when they looked oh at that you know and, but, and i
1: you know when you talk about it, everybody's like yeah we we did
2: yeah you know exactly. or, and
1: when you're in the senate you can say you didn't
2: right right which... well it's it's frustrating and that's probably why a lot of people Look, well, i don't pull any punches if somebody does something well i i congratulate them if they do something stupid i call them out on it and that like I said, I'm a libertarian. Everyone hates me. Okay. That's that's just, that's just how it is. And so
1: Michael, I was remembering when you, I don't, I think I was on the school board around the same time, but I remember you had a, um, you would, you would pack your weapon. (laughs) Do you still do that? You would have it in a little satchel.
2: Oh, every day. I've got a, I mean, I carry a, I've carried a firearm every day of my life since I was 17 or 18 years old. So, I mean, it's just, it's just who I am, you know, and uh, I know people would like freak out over that. (laughs) It's, you know, for the most part, it was
1: very Alaskan.
2: Yeah, it is. It is what it is. You know, people are going to be upset about some of the dumbest things sometimes. Um, Anyway, we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, come into the charter of changes here. I want to talk about, you know, again, you've got more more, um, experience in the education, and that's kind of why I think we focused more on education on this issue. But I do want to touch for a minute just on this defined benefits thing because you Mm -hmm. were there at the time. uh, I think you were on the school board when when PERS and TERS was coming apart. You know, we had a $13 billion uh, uh, liability, and the school board and the districts and the communities, they were having to pay. Astronomical amounts of money to try yeah. and compensate for that and everything else. What are your thoughts quickly here? We got about two and a half minutes. What are your thoughts on this idea of returning to defined benefits as a as a savior of our uh, you know inability to hire or maintain employees? What are your What are your thoughts on it?
1: You know, unless I'm missing something, and I did try to watch Senate Finance yesterday and watched what went down because uh, I have great concern about it. I re- I was on the school board during that time and the, the giant unfunded liability uh, between you and me, our good friend, Martin Peel from Ketchikan, who was on the arm board at the time. he He's friends with my parents and he plopped down his, his notes on it. And he said, Leslie, we've got a freight train coming towards us. I mean, it was a,
2: we still do. Um, we still have we a six, six billion yeah. unfunded from leftover from right. that. I mean, you want to add to it. That seems yeah. insane. Yeah. And
1: And the, to me, the risk of it, it's like, okay. And I, I heard Kathy Giesel just between you and me, I heard her saying, well, as my husband says, it's like a Ponzi scheme. He said, (laughs) you know, the more, the more people, okay. She said, well, we'll get more employees. And so then the actuarial tables, you know, start working out and man, it is, it's, um, you know, if I were there, unless, unless I'm missing something. I would not be in favor of this. And, yeah. and I, but you know, I, I, I don't have all the information. I haven't been presented. I haven't listened in, but unless I'm missing something, uh, it's not the direction we should go. And how much time do we have yeah, uh, less and, than a minute? Go ahead. Okay. We've got work, you know, we've got, um, workforce issues across the nation,
2: right? This right? is not simply an Alaskan problem. It's this not, not a just in Alaska problem. and it's right, not right. just
1: the state government, it's private sector. And if you're looking as I told my friend who's in the Senate right now, I said, you're looking, you're trying to solve a short-term problem with this really long-term, like literally weigh us down for the length of those people's lives,
2: right, you know? right. It's like shooting yourself in the foot to prevent your your the cut on your hand from hurting. You know, it's, I'm gonna it's...
1: refill my coffee.
2: Okay, good. We got uh, we got 25 seconds. We're good to go. Leslie Hadukovic is our guest. We're gonna continue with her here in just a second. Uh, the Michael Duke Show. Please like and share, uh, ring the bell, subscribe, follow, do all the stuff that you need to do, and uh, we'll uh, we'll come back to that here, and uh, we'll continue. Uh, only 17 people have liked the show this morning. I don't know what the wrong, there's 60 people in here. What's up with you guys? Come on, you're falling down. Let's go.
0: The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect.
2: (sighs) Pinch of (laughs) intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. I mean, I'm not the smartest critter in the shed. I did graduate from Lathrop High School, but you know, uh, it is it is what it is. Uh, Leslie Hydukovich is our guest. Uh, she is running for the Senate in District P. Uh, early on in the break, I kind of gave uh, the in the first break, I gave Leslie kind of a sneak peek of the Charter of Changes, and uh, and and you know, gave her some of the details. And and I want to kind of break that down for her now because I still believe that that is one of the best ways to try and get Alaska back on track. Um, like I said, we've changed out a significant number of legislators over the last, you know, eight, nine, 10 years. Um, but there's still some old guard in there trying to do things the way that we've always done it. And, uh, unfortunately we just don't have the money to do the things that we've always done. Uh, they continue to seem to want to push in that direction, both Republicans and Democrats and and that's a problem. So I've suggested that we need to change the players. Now, obviously, you're running for the you're running for the legislature. So I would assume that you would support changing out the players in in the legislature at that point.
1: Yeah, that issue number one. Yes, my answer is yes.
2: Yeah, um, <laughs> changing out the. Board. I think
1: uh, 17 years is long enough uh, for um, Scott Kawasaki. I think he's done his community service for sure, and uh, it's time for a change. I know Fairbanks is is uh, interested in a change.
2: in Well, I mean, that that leads to a deeper question of almost like, you know, shouldn't it just be like two terms and done if you're, if you're four year terms or, you know, maybe three, two year, something. I mean, shouldn't there be a point where it's like, it is a citizen legislature and you need to be in and out. You know, we've got legislators who've been in there right now for 20 plus years. And at some point you got to be like, Jack, you got to go. We need some fresh blood in here. Shouldn't there be a new, a new slew of ideas that goes into the legislature?
1: It's a really good point, Michael. It's a really good point. You know, people who, have who, you know, when I've talked about running, they said, well, you know, you've got to make it two terms because I do think it takes time to, for people to come up to speed. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that I, <laughs> I can't even think that far ahead at this point. Right, right. But um, I think it takes a while. I know just what I'm trying to learn. It does take a while to learn the process, but um, it's just like anything you can kind of, you can get set in a certain way. And I know I served two terms on the school board and, you know, people wanted me to serve longer. And I said, you know, it's time, it's time for somebody else to
2: take, to take the wheel. Um, Would you support, would you be supportive of some kind of term limit in the future?
1: You know, I'd have to, I'd have to really think about that in the legislature. I haven't, I haven't thought about that topic. Um, So I guess undecided right now, but, um, I'd want to learn more, learn more. I think, uh, you know, like I said, the, it takes a while to get up to speed. I I can already see that. And like, you know, and then, and then the house, if you've got a two term or a two year term, probably those first two years, you're learning the ropes. Um,
2: so no, I think it would definitely have to be a different term limit for each body. Uh, you know, but I think after I yeah. mean, I, I think if you hit the 10 year mark, I think at that point you're like, OK, it's time. It's time to go.
1: Right. Um, go, yeah. Go do something. Yeah. You know,
2: head out. Enjoy go, the land. Go produce something. <laughs> um, so let's move on to number two, which is a change of the venue. And I want to be real clear here. I'm not talking about moving the Capitol. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm just saying that we should hold the legislative session on the road system. Eighty five percent of Alaskans can have access to the road system. And within just a handful of hours, they could be. At Juno. Now you've gone down to Juno as a as a school board member and everything. But how many times have you ever flown to Juno on your own dime just to go, you know, pitch a bill or support a bill? You just don't do that because it's a it's a three thousand dollar trip to go down there and and several days worth of time, et cetera, et cetera. My My suggestion is. If you want to get there where you can sit in the room, look at your legislators, because, you know, you've you've sat on a board and when a room full of people shows up and they're looking you in the eye, it's a lot different than if they're sending you emails or they're on the phone. Right. And That's so right. I would just That's- say that Alaskans should have the opportunity to actually look their legislators in the eye and go, I agree with you or I disagree with you. And so why not hold the le- it's happened before? Why not just set the session to be held? On there, and I don't care where it's at. Hold it in Fairbanks. Hold it in Delta. Hold it in Wasilla. Hold it in Anchorage. I don't care. Just so that I can climb in my car and within a handful of hours and a tank full of gas, I can be there. And if I need to round trip it back home the same day, I can. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. What do you yeah.
1: think? Yeah, you know, your compact. You know, it's not too radical, Michael. I'm, I'm, you know, it's not that radical. At least so far. I mean, it really. Um, you know, like you said on the school board we that would that's what's been so interesting and i've known this that you can take an at ease in the legislature and then they talk and then it comes back and then a decision's made none of that w- in in our local school board you know on the assembly
2: yeah none everything of that. Yeah. was
1: done in public everything yeah. well, that- you know painfully and usually these are the people like the people who are on our assembly or school board or city council you know they're just you know, they're business people, or they're you know, they're just living their average lives. Average
2: Joe's, yeah, average. They're Joes. not, you yeah. know, uh, you know, professional politicians, right? And they're
1: your neighbors. Well, you're getting
2: so- you're getting a little bit ahead of us because that's number three. But number two, so oh, would you, two. so <laughs> would you support the idea of putting the legislative session on the road system?
1: You know, I, in general, I support the concept of more accessibility um, to constituents because you're right that having a room full of people or having people being able, or not just people in Juneau, other people around the state to be able to go and be there in the legislative committee meetings or, you know, so it's, it's something I haven't given a lot of thought to, but the, the general concept I think is good. It's more of an, open meetings act type of uh did I? okay yeah i'm getting ahead of it open well but meetings it is act i mean
2: it, it, it does tie into it a little bit because it gives you a chance to you know be at the session be there in the meetings go to their office talk to them directly i think that's an important thing and i think it's something we're yeah. missing in alaska that almost every other state in the union has you can drive to your yeah. capital and participate right uh,
1: and i do i did love when i went to Juneau, and it was for usually for the school board i did like That once you were there, I mean, everybody's pretty accessible. The problem is it costs a lot of money to go. That's the problem
2: right there. Number three is changing the rules. And we talked about, I mean, the binding caucus rule, which I find to be well, in many states, it's unconstitutional, first of all. It's illegal to hold a binding caucus. Here in this state, we've just made it be the status quo. Now, for a couple of years now, that's kind of gone the way. But I think it needs to be just basically outlawed where, you know, you show up and they say, OK, well, if you guarantee us your vote on the budget, we'll give you committee seats and everything else. But you've got to guarantee us that you'll vote with the with the majority on the budget. That's coercion that's that's extortion you know i haven't you haven't written a single word about the budget yet and then i have to commit that i will vote for it no matter what that seems to be wrong
1: yeah and you know honestly i haven't done a lot of research on this topic i mean because i you know i'm brand new up until you know early december i was uh you know, doing, doing well, my thing. Let me ask you um, if you
2: had been on the school board and they said, well, we're going to form a majority on the school board that tries to get things done. But if you want to participate, you've got a guarantee that you're going to vote with us on the budget from right, the first day. Right. What, would yeah. you, what would you have said? That's
1: hard to imagine. Hard <laughs> to imagine. I mean, we were free to, and, and what's interesting in my time on the school board is that, you know, you, you, it, you know, we were, it was nonpartisan, which I did kind of like right. because we were all focused on, okay, our, our focus was on students, student achievement. And we kept that at the the forefront. And so, you know, what would it be in the legislature? You know, the, everybody has a view and everybody's elected by right. their constituents from their area. So anyways, yeah. Well, I
2: And quickly for, I got a minute here. Uh, the The next two are the open meetings act and the conflict of interest rules. Now, every other elected or appointed or even small community road service in the state has got to has got to ab- abide by these rules yet the legislature exempted themselves shouldn't they have to play by the same rules that every other elected body does quickly here
1: on the open meetings act you open said of and meetings, then what yeah. Was,
2: yeah. conflict of interest but open meetings conflict is more interest, important yeah. right now yeah
1: open meetings act boy it's been that way for a long time i think what they have so far but boy tuning in more now Um, interesting and to a lot, most of the decisions are made, you know, behind a curtain,
2: right? The deliberation (laughs) should be in public, just like every other body. That's my that's my as
1: painful as that is. It is, you and I know it's
2: intentionally meant to be that's what the framers and founders intended is that it would be a difficult process, they didn't want it to be rubber stamped. So, I'm assuming you would support exploring that idea.
1: I would, I would explore the idea, you know. All right,
2: she's not going to commit. But I, I ex- can't, I, yeah, yeah, I'm
1: too new, I'm All right.
2: too new. Uh, we got less than a minute here, Leslie, give us your final elevator pitch, what people need to know, how do they find you?
1: Oh man, I, I just appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. And I just wanna mention, I have a Facebook page, if anybody, I gotta I gotta remember my, um, Leslie Hadoukovich for State Senate, you can find me there. And um, I just appreciate the opportunity and um, I am energized and we had a kickoff two nights ago here in Fairbanks, a kickoff event, very well attended. Uh, it was minus minus thirty, uh, 31 or 32 and Fairbanks came out and there is an
2: enthusiasm.
1: Right.
2: Leslie, yeah. Leslie Hydukovich, we're out of time. Hour two, dead ahead. Sorry, Leslie. We were uh, we were up against the break there. And oh. I, I wanted to do it, but uh, again, Leslie for Senate dot com. I think that's the easier one to find than people trying to figure yeah. out how to spell Hajdukovic. Uh, <laughs> but it's Leslie for alaskasenate. dot com. I posted a link up into the chat room. Um, I would I would I would challenge you, Leslie, to think about the charter of changes that I've given you because, like you said, these are it's- things that you. May not have ever considered before. Uh, Harold makes a valid point in the chat room. He says, if the AFN can have its conference in Fairbanks and in Anchorage, why not the legislature? I mean, yeah. really, why not? We And we've done it before. And again, to think that just average citizens could then go to the legislature and stand in their representative's office and talk to them. Yeah. Why? Why is that not even being considered? I mean, instead of instead of the fishbowl, that is, Juno. I asked Tammy Wilson one time right after she got out of this out of the house. And I asked her in your 12 years of being in the legislature, how many times did the average Joe Blow, you know, Mary and Sue Alaska? How much how many times did they just show up to talk about their just an average citizen show up? She said, I can count it on one hand. In yeah. 12 years. And I said, OK, so how many times do people who are with an NGO, a, you know, a school board or you know, some of yeah. how many times have they showed up? She goes multiple times a day. Yeah. You want to know what part yeah. of the problem is? Part of the problem is, is that average Alaskans do not have access, daily access to their legislature. And and yeah. I, I think that's a yeah. huge problem. I Yeah,
1: it really it really is. And it's. uh and the other thing, you know, like even on that education uh, committee meeting that lasted all whatever Saturday, it I as I told my husband, I said, I'm pretty much, I think those are all Juno folks because they're able to go. They are I mean, all it,
2: Juno folks or people <laughs> who are working for lobbyists or who are for, you know, PTAs right. or whatever. I mean, that's part of the problem is that we're they are in a, it's an echo chamber. And, yeah. they, and they're and they not hearing or seeing it. You and I both know that sitting in a room with people standing across the dais from mm-hmm. you saying things makes a big difference than if it's just like email testimony or anything else. It's much more right. impactful. And right. When- and
1: theoretically, Michael, anybody who's running for the legis- legislature, I mean, like me, I do have some experience, you know, so it's not like he, on the school board. I mean, it's like, no, I mean, I'm a mom, I'm a PTA mom and I'm having to, to make decisions about hiring a superintendent in public you know that those were the the hardest ones because yeah. you're basically trying to hire somebody in front of the entire town right and, and
2: it, it's difficult but again that was intended right it wasn't right the framers so the framers in the of-
1: legislature you theoretically people are more experienced i feel more experienced it's like if that honestly i'm brand new or i might be brand new if I went down and those were the rules, I'd go, okay, those are the rules.
2: Yeah. No, that's br- right. And of course the binding caucus rule, which most people don't think about because most people don't under, it's only really in the last two or three years come to prominence since we started talking about it a lot. But that rule has been in place for a long time. A brand new legislator shows up and says, Hey kid, if you want to play with the big boys, you've got to promise us your vote.
3: Now yeah. you'll you'll
2: have your bite at the apple. You'll get your chance, blah, blah. But you've got to promise you your vote. And if you don't vote the way we tell you, you're out. You go yeah. to a closet in the basement. Yeah. And that offends me. Yeah. Everybody Yeah, yeah everybody that, it, should have the right to vote their their conscience on that.
1: Yeah. Those are good points, Michael. They're good points. All right. Final, I mean,
2: final question, then I'm going to give you a minute to uh, to summate. Um, will you come on the program? If you do get elected, will you come on the program every month or something and, and give us updates and talk with us about stuff?
1: I, I, I'll try. I could try. <laughs> oh, come
2: on. I'll try. It's a, it's a, it's a one hour commitment in the early morning before anything else gets started during the session. I know,
1: which is, you know, I did, I tuned in one time I was going to meet, uh, actually it was Will staff. I was going to meet him for breakfast and I tuned, I was like, Oh, I'm going to just try. I don't know what you come on up here. Right. But anyways, I caught you and, uh, Senator shower, but I only caught like three minutes or something. Right. Right. Um, but anyways, I was like, oh, it's Michael Dukes. He's, you know, I can catch him here. So, um, so anyways, I, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best and, uh, and we'll see, we'll see. But I just, I appreciate the, the time, Michael. I really yep. do. Great to see you. I hope you're well. I hope you're family's
2: good. Yep. Everybody's doing good. There's life after Fairbanks. I will tell you that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, so I love it. My folks are still up there. Everybody else is still up there, but you know, it is what it is. All right. Well, we'll hope that if you do get elected, that you will come on the program and you won't forget us uh, and won't won't avoid us because, you know, it's what we need. We need more transparency in the state government and we don't have it. That's the problem. That's what I'm trying to do. All right. Leslie Hydukovich, Leslie for Alaska Senate com. That's where you find her. I've already posted links to the chat room and uh, we've got Mike Shower coming up here in a second. So you can listen there if you want and get more education on what's going on in the Senate. Um, all right, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on board and joining us. We appreciate it.
1: Okay. Thanks a lot, Michael. Appreciate right. it.
2: Thank you. Uh, right. Le- Leslie uh, our guest here uh, on the program this morning. I mean, yeah, she's taking a sip from a fire hose. That's pretty much the visual that you need to look at if she's trying to figure this out right now. And uh, yeah, she's going to have to get down into some of these issues and come up with some good stances on this because this is a this is a tough year. This 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 coming this next ten year period, I think, is going to be the make or break for Alaska uh, in figuring out where we're going because nobody else, you know, there's no long term vision in those kind of things. Uh, nobody else seems to really be putting that stuff forward, and I think that's a problem. All right, um, let me get a shower here. Um, do I need to send him a Let me send it. I guess maybe I should send him the link because he's. Oh, let's do that. Why not? We got about a minute and a half here uh, before we get in. Make sure you like and share you like and subscribe. uh, Ring the bell, do all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just going to send I'm just going to send another text to ask him what's going on. me mm, okay uh, i can't talk and type at the same time it's one of my failings um or use a video link there we go that's what i was looking for uh okay all right we're jumping in here in just a moment with the michael duke show common sense liberty-based fee a free uh, thinking radio fee thinking radio we'll be back with more hour twos dead ahead here we go
0: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world.
2: Live around the world on the Internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator. Good morning uh, and welcome to the program. It is hour two of The Michael Dukes Show, and we are continuing uh, discussions here of a uh, state business nature. We're going to be joined in just a moment by uh, State Senator Mike Schauer, who's going to be uh, who's gonna be calling us, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get all we're gonna get all squared away here in just a hot second. We just finished up with Leslie Hydukovich, who's running for uh, who's running for uh, state uh, state senate, rather, district P up in the interior. And um it's interesting. I mean, you could see that Leslie is brand new to the, uh, to the idea. And we're in early days. I mean, this is January, right? We've got, uh, we've got another, uh, you know, 10 months or so for her to get up to speed, but I think she's definitely going to have to, she's definitely going to have to get a little more squared away on some of the issues and, and have some, you know, have some ideas and some talking points about what she thinks needs to change and what needs to happen. And I'd like a little more commitment. Uh, we talked about the, the charter of changes and, uh, you know, we got a definite one uh, was a yes, the changing the players, obviously, because she's running for office. But the other two were kind of more iffy and, uh, and you know, needs, she needs to think about it more. But let's face it, most people have probably never considered the ideas that I throw forward in the Charter of Changes. It's just not something that's on their radar. So maybe they need some time to think about it. So we'll, we'll come back and interview Leslie again here in the future and see where she's at. See, see what she's, uh, uh, you know, see if, if she's come to a conclusion on some of this stuff. Um, and I, and I know it's, uh, it's difficult, especially in the very beginning to, uh, to get, uh, <clears throat> to take a position, a solid position on something when you may not know all the details, but there's going to be, it's going to have to, She taking a sip from a fire hose. She's going to have to lock onto that thing and, and figure it out. Um, but i'm excited to see that somebody um is uh uh that somebody is uh, uh is working on that and we'll see we'll see what that uh, brings to the table here in uh, in just a minute um all right i'm waiting on <laughs> i'm waiting i'm waiting on shower here um and uh we'll just see what uh we'll just see what's what's coming on here he's supposed to be here in just a moment so we'll we'll see We'll see how that I should actually turn the I should actually turn the ringer on so we can hear everything and, let, and know what's what's happening there. All right, um, some of the other stories that are going on around the state. Let's uh, let's let's get into that, shall we? And see where what else is uh, is happening. Uh, David Boyle, who maybe we'll try and get on next week to talk about this. Uh, he's got an interesting article in uh, Must Read Alaska talking about school closures now a couple of things that we haven't mentioned or haven't noticed uh, or i mean really talked about is the fact that uh the reporting numbers for the number of students in the districts is late we haven't seen the actual numbers yet uh when we normally you know normally we see them before years end and here we are in january so we're already into the second semester of the school year and we haven't seen the reporting numbers for attendance and that concerns me a little bit. Um, we were talking a little bit the other day about this chronic absenteeism that we're seeing across the country with some communities having a chronic absentee rate of over 40 percent, um, which means – and for those of you who don't, the, the the definition of chronic absenteeism is any student who misses more than 10 days of school in a given ye- semester – given year. I think it's given year, given school year. So over two semesters. Um, and it is skyrocketed. Obviously, since COVID, it is skyrocketed. And uh, not only that, but enrollment overall has declined, um, which is troubling to me. Now, we're not seeing the numbers that are coming out that we would normally try and make decisions on. Uh, the legislature is getting in session, and usually that would play into in some way, uh, you know, the decision-making process as to how many students each district's going to have. And is it trending up or is it trending down? It's been trending down for a long time. But the problem is, is that we are not getting the numbers, and that makes all that decision-making process very difficult uh, to move forward. Uh, We expect it to be lower, but maybe it's so low that nobody wants to bring it forward. Maybe that's the holdup. I don't know what the holdup is, but we'll find out. This goes back to David Boyle's story. David Boyle has got a story in Must Read that says Colorado shows how to close schools. And I know nobody wants to hear about schools closing. Right. Nobody wants to do it. Everybody's all emotionally wound up and invested in this. We've got our local school. We've got. But there comes a point to where if you have got an excess of capacity. And you've got all these students and you're also facing a what are they calling it a 96 billion, 96 ninety six million dollar deficit. You're going to have to look at some cost cutting measures. David Tar uh, starts to talk out, uh, talk about it and says, you know, the the school district's problem in a nutshell is that they have a total capacity at the elementary schools of nearly 27,000. So 26,400 and change, right? But the actual numbers of students last year, now remember we don't have this year's numbers yet, or 2023's numbers yet, the start of that school year. But last year's number was 19,484, which is just a hair under 7,000 empty spaces. Now if the average school houses, you know, 400 students, Houston we have a problem. Right? I mean most of these elementary schools are 4 or 500 kids. That's that's it. Some of them are even smaller. Remember some of the Fairbank schools are between 300 and 400 students. So I mean when you get when you get down to that That's a serious issue. You now have 7,000. And that's, again, that's last year's numbers. What is it this year? Is it 7,500? Is it 8,000? Is it 10,000? We don't know. That's part of the problem. He says there's an even further downward trend in the future because, again, the, the, the predictions are all saying, you know, again, a continuing decline in enrollment. And they're saying that by 2027, there will only be about, according to their calculations, 16,800 students. That's 10,000 students fewer than what the district has capacity for. (laughs) That's a huge problem, folks, because now you are paying for open buildings and maintenance and overhead and staff and everything else for 10,000 student seats, even at 500 per, you know, let's just say it's a 500 student per building. That's 20 school buildings that are being kept open where they continue to spread the students out further and further uh, to keep the buildings open to justify it. But that's 20 buildings. So how should they deal with it? And he says, well, if you want to, You know, you want to you want to go to where something like where do you go? You go where somebody has already done it. And he points to Colorado. He says the Jefferson County, Colorado public schools have closed 16 elementary schools and are closing four more this next year. The superintendent took her job seriously, made the decision to move forward. The Jeffco school district is larger than the Anchorage school district. Jeffco has 66,500 students and a building capacity of 88,000. Jeffco has 166 schools, while Anchorage has 84 schools. So they've got about double what we have. But again, they were facing the same kind of issues with declining enrollment and everything else. And they faced, this this superintendent, uh, Tracy Dorland, faced many of the same issues that we hear Uh, about down in the Anchorage area, right? This weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth about, oh, the school is the center of our community. And, you know, they have have an emotional connection. They don't want to lose that connection to this is the same school that I went to or all my kids have gone to this school or whatever it is. And just like in Anchorage, some of the Jeffco uh, 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 parents threatened to remove their kids from school if you do this and everything else. But they had to move Forward, they have. They, ha- they It has to happen. You cannot have ten thousand excess school seats, excess places, and say this is all just going to work out fine. When you, when your overall capacity is twenty six thousand students, and you have only sixteen thousand in the, this, uh, you know, butts in the seats. Something's got to give. Well, people will lose their job. Well, yes. What happens when... Other areas and other companies, when they have to, you know, when they lose, they don't have the revenues, when they don't have the, they're not taking in, they're not making the money, they're not doing. What happens? You have to pull your horns in. You have to consolidate. You have to, you know, if you've got branch locations, you have to talk about cutting the branch locations. And you bring some people into the main location from those branches, but not all of them. You don't have the room. You don't have, it's a redundancy. You don't need, you know, if you had to close 20 schools. You don't need 20 extra janitors at the schools that already have janitors. I mean, it's just people, All oh, people will lose their job. Well, yes, it's unfortunate. But that's called life. That's called basic economics. You can't just hold people on the employee rolls because you might hurt their feelings. You know, the employment costs make up. 75 to 90% of almost every budget from every entity in the world, be they private or public or whatever. You just can't keep holding those people on the rolls because you might, because somebody might lose their job. Yes, that's a problem. Absolutely. It is problematic on the individual level. But if you want the whole to survive, you've got to do that. Which, again, makes me ask the question of how much of an increase to the BSA is actually going to affect people in the long run if we have this continuing, declining enrollment. If they're saying that by 2027, for example, I'm using the numbers from the school, if they're saying that their total capacity for elementary students in Anchorage is 26,432, but that by 2027, which is only three short years away, that capacity will just be 10,000 less than that we have got some questions we've got some and and even if you do increase the per student funding to the $1100 or whatever that they want if you have 10,000 fewer students than what you need is this just a continual crisis is this just going to continue to go on over and over and over again this is a problem I think we're. I think we'll. We'll see if we can get uh, David on to talk about this later on, uh, on the program. Maybe Monday. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe today if uh, if Shower doesn't show up, we'll see. He was supposed to be here already. I know. I know. He's. You know. We'll see what happens. Uh, anyway, we're up against the break, so we might as well. Uh, we might as well take it, and then we'll see where we go from here on the other side. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense. Liberty based free thinking radio we return with more right after this don't go anywhere
0: Casting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
2: Okay. Welcome back to the program. Uh, the Michael Duke Show. Sorry about that. We're working on our stuff over here. Um... David, I don't know if you want to talk about this right now. Uh, I can't get a hold of shower. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but David, if you would like to discuss this and you have time, I can either send you a video link or you can call me. One of the two. You tell me what you'd prefer in the uh, chat room, or we can wait till next week if you want to do that. So feel free to feel free to 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 tell me in the chat room right now what's what's going on here. Um why are kids not asten- attending school says David again a big question I'm 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 concerned about this uh all right what else we got here I'm'm sc- I'm scrolling upwards here scrolling upwards here um not Bailey's Kirkland Irish cream what Bailey's or Carolyn oh I see it was a question about coffee at Bailey's and I don't know. It's Irish cream. It can't be bad. I mean, I'm, it's very bad. Jeannie says the interview with Leslie was unconvincing. She says, very unconvincing. I'm a no vote. Well, I mean, I could again, she's green as grass as far as some of this stuff goes right now. Green as grass. And I can understand her hesitancy to try and commit to some of this stuff. But you're right. She's going to have to. She's going to have to make some decisions. She's going to have to make some decisions on and get educated on some of these things and figure out, you know, where she stands on it. Jeannie goes on to say, makes no sense to replace Kawasaki with a twin. Mm, You know, Um, Brian, on the other hand, says, I like that lady. She sounds like a, a, like a mainlining Republican, but at least it's a fresh voice to which I would agree. I would consider Leslie to be kind of one of the median, middle of the road you know, Republicans uh, that we've seen, um, some of which have been problematic. Others have not. So we'll see. We'll see where she sits. Um, and but again, she's going to have to come up to speed on the issues that are facing us. Some of these issues are critical and she needs to she needs to to be part of it. Um, all right. Uh, David says he'll call in. Um, what number? Uh, David, I'll. I'll email you the number, David, not plastering my number out there for the whole world to see because God almighty, um, let me, in fact, I probably have your number at some point here. Let me see if I can find your, uh, okay. Merle. Okay. Uh, I will go ahead and send it to your e- email address. Here's my phone number. Uh, or you can reply with yours and we'll we'll see what it is. I just sent you my phone number, David. Feel free to call in and we'll we'll get squared away. Okay. I think I have your number, but I I just I can't be sure at this moment. All right. Um we're all ready to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Um There you go. Let's do it. All right. right. Welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Continuing now. uh, I don't know what happened to Shower. He may have gotten called to fly. I I don't know at this point. But we're continuing on. And since David Boyle, the author of that article for Must Read, was in the chat room, um, I asked him if he wanted to call in and discuss it further on the program because... I mean, I'm an opportunist, right? He's right there. Why not ask him? Uh, so he's called in this morning, and we'll see if we can get some information from him and talk about it. And uh, he joins us right now. Good morning, David. You with us?
3: Yeah, good morning, Michael. I'm a very poor substitute for one of the best senators in the state, well, Mike Shower. It's but okay. I'll try.
2: At least you show up. I mean, uh, no, I've <laughs> given Shower a hard time. <laughs> given Shower a hard time on that. Um, All right, David. Well, let's talk about this for a minute, because, again, there's a confluence of things that I and I really should just do maybe one whole show, one whole two hour show about this with some various guests and some quick hits. But I mean, there's a there's kind of a perfect storm happening across the country. Uh, We're talking about the explosion of absenteeism across the country, this absentee rate. We're talking about the continual decline in enrollment across the country. Again, this is not just an Alaska problem. Um, and we're talking about people's basically distrust in the educational system overall, the explosion of charter schools, homeschooling, um, uh, you know, learning pods, um, you know, kind of these, you, you know, uh, asymmetrical teaching systems that are coming up and popping up all over the place, teacher share programs, et cetera, And it's kind of creating this perfect storm. And so here we have this question of schools wanting more money. In this case, an increase to the BSA. But if, as projected, the enrollment is going to continue to decline, I don't know how much more that's actually going to help them. But let's talk about this. The school district in Anchorage already has a lot of empty spaces. And we're talking about now specifically in the elementary uh, uh, area of K through 12. And that's a huge problem. Um, and you've been looking into this, discussing it. You've talked with us about the budgetary shortfalls and how much money do they really have and what's their fund balance. And there's a lot of things. But talk us into this part of the equation here.
3: Okay, Michael, thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, first of all, I, I just want to mention there is there is no budget hole in the Anchorage School District. Uh, and you can go to Must Read and, and find one, Alaska, and find one of my articles on that. Because they have a $71 million, well, they have actually $118 million unfunded balance that they can grab a hold of to fill their $98 million budget hole. Um, yeah, as you said in your summary statement there, uh, this is not just happening in Alaska where kids uh, are leaving the public school system. Uh, the number of students is decreasing dramatically. And there are several reasons for this. We can actually thank COVID. One of the best things to come out of COVID and lockdowns etc was the fact that parents finally got engaged and learned what their kids were learning at school by looking over their shoulders as their students were uh, doing remote learning looking over their shoulders at the computers and this is one of the re- one of the reasons why we have a shrinking uh, public education uh, student population uh, the other reason is if you look forward downstream as the Anchorage school district has done they project that there're going to be many fewer students of uh, K 12 education age, uh, because we're just we're just not reproducing you uh, children and that has a lot to do with the uh, different value system of the millennials and I guess you'd say yeah, the gen Zers, and uh, that's that's going to be a long term trend so as you stated before, you know, today. Um, since um, we have uh, like 7000 student excess capacity in the Anchorage school district. But if they're looking for actually downstream, by 2027, we're going to have 10,000 fewer students than than we have today in the elementary school system uh, for, for Anchorage only. Now, this is going to be happening even probably more so at some of the uh, smaller schools in the bush and even in Fairbanks and the Matsu, maybe not the Matsu because they've been uh, holding steady with their student numbers because, you know, because of what's happening in Anchorage, people are moving to the valley. And taking their kids with them, um, so you know, in in order to compensate for the lower number of students, and this and thus the less funding from the state of Alaska legislature, uh, they they want to increase because the volume's down. They want to increase the per student cost to the state, and they're actually right, asking right. for fourteen hundred dollars more right. per student. And that equates to I put it on Facebook, that equates to 278,000 permanent fund dividends in last year's PFD amount. Oof. Um, yeah, it's in, you know, the education industry, they're threatening a lot of legislators down there, you know, with uh, the election coming up with, with putting a, an opponent out there and funding them. So um, those people, many of them, I won't say most, but many of them are only concerned with getting reelected, which is, a, uh, I guess, a travesty. But uh, so the the other thing happening in Anchorage, which is probably happening in the, the other, um, well, the other school districts as well in the state is the fact that we have a cartel. And, you know, Eisenhower, President Eisenhower warned us of the military industrial complex in his um, uh, farewell speech. Well, what we have going on and we have for decades now in Anchorage and the rest of Alaska is we have an education architect construction cartel going on. And they don't want to see any buildings closed. They only wanna build new buildings such as the Inlet View School at a cost of $50 million more, which will be on the uh, bond uh, ballot this April in Anchorage. Um, In in the foundation formula, there's there's one of the factors in this foundation formula that funds uh, education, K-12 from the state. There's a factor in there called building size. And it was very interesting because even the um, Alaska or Anchorage board and and the staff was briefed that when you start closing schools, you actually lose money because you don't get that money for that particular school.
2: Right, right.
3: And then, then if you have, let's say you have two elementary schools with 200 kids in them. You have two of those. Well, you get more money for those two schools than you do if you have, one school with 400 elementary kids in them the same number of students so they're very reluctant to close any schools and consolidate them as well because they're going to lose money from the state of alaska uh, funding because of that building size factor in the uh, formula and um, that it, you know it, it it i don't know it's it's ludicrous and, and irrational to see what the funding formula does and there's a um, you know,
2: well, um, and one of the sneaky things that I was apprised of about 20 years ago was that that they have the difference between design capacity and current capacity, where they'll take a school and it's the school is pitched and sold to the public and to the community as a school designed for, let me just pick a number, 500 students. But then as they go through and within 10 years the design capacity changes because well they play with the numbers or they do whatever and now a kid needs instead of 3 foot per student 3 square feet per student now you need 3.6 feet per student all of a sudden the capacity goes from 500 to 400 and then you know 5 years later it's at 350 and now they're like well this school is just over capacity so we need a new one uh and, and it is i mean this is this goes right back to that of trade magazine that I looked at many years ago that just shocked me down to my socks, which was an Associated General Contractors trade magazine, and the headline read at the on the front page of the of the of the uh, of the magazine, selling schools to your local communities. That it, it was all the whole thing was about this is how we go out and sell schools to local communities so we can have a job to build a new building, yeah. and and not that I'm against people making money and doing. I mean that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying. When you have a whole process and a whole a uh, a whole cadre of people who are trying to game the system to tell people exactly why and sell people on this kind of concept, it 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 becomes an industry unto itself.
3: You're exactly right. That that's great. You read uh, found that trade magazine to read that. That's very interesting. The comments there. Um, you're you're right. The state um, has a um, a formula. Uh, uh, per student, uh, let's say square foot per student in an elementary school and it's 114 square feet per student. But in the Anchorage School District, you know, these guys are pretty bright at what they do. Um, They have decided that they don't like that uh, state capacity formula of 114 square feet per student. They've come up with something they call program capacity and you can find this in their capital improvement plan the program capacity is about depending on the school is about 20% 10 to 20% more space required for a student than the state uh, mandates or requires in their capacity uh, for a student uh, for example let's take um, abbot loop if you if you look at the percent filled in abbot loop school the state says it's 49% filled the school the school district says it's sixty five percent filled. Therefore, it's well over half. So that's one of the schools you wouldn't look at for closing. Let's say right. Um, it, 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 and I have another article I wrote. I don't know how long ago that's on my street, uh, showing those statistics as well. And the other interesting thing is Inlet View. A few years ago, oh maybe seven eight years ago, Inlet View. Had 170 students in it. This is the school that they have on the bond issue to not remodel but rebuild a brand new school. 170 students was what uh, their student population was. Today the student population is 235, almost a 50, well whatever, 40 percent increase. Um, And you wonder how they did that. Well, they're manipulating so they can get a brand new school built there. Now it's way over their program capacity like 130%. And what they've done is they've started a new program in Inlet View uh, back in 2018 called a great program actually for students, really ex- smart students, the International Baccalaureate Program. And so now what they're doing is they're busing students or st- or busing students or parents are taking their students over to Inlet View to the uh, IB program, International Baccalaureate Program, because it is an outstanding program. But that program can be housed in any school in the district. There's nothing unique about Inlet View to have the IB program in it. And if you look at the neighboring schools around closely that are adjacent, let's say, to the Inlet View school that they say is 135% over capacity or at capacity, those schools are, I can't remember what it is, but those schools are probably about, let me look here, hold on. Uh, like North Star, 72% capacity. Turnigan School, these are elementary schools, right, right next to Inlet View, 68%. Lake Hood, 56%. Northwood, 69%. They're all less, basically less than 70% filled. And so they want to build a new school because Inlet View is over capacity. Well, what you do is you redo the school boundaries. Right. And you take the IB program and you move right. it. To, be to one of these other schools. Right, to one right. of the schools that's got a lower capacity.
2: Yeah. I, I want to get back to this article, though, specifically, because, again, I've always advocated that if you want to do something, find somebody who's done it and see what they did right and copy that. Uh, to me, that that makes the most – because there's no sense in reinventing the wheel, right? Experience is the best teacher, especially when it's somebody else's experience. So we should always be looking at areas that have done something that we want to do and figure out, can we adapt that to use for ourselves? And that seems to make sense. Um, But I want to get back into this. David, can you hold the line for me for just a minute here? I sure can. Okay. All right. Hold the line. David Boyle is our surprise guest here this morning. We're talking about uh, education and the closure of schools. And this is something that many districts are going to have to face in the state because there's an overall decline in enrollment statewide. So the question is, you know, as I've often said, as goes Anchorage, so goes the rest of the state. Uh, this is just gonna be the coal the canary in the coal mine kind of thing. We're gonna have to talk about this. David Boyle's our guest, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay, uh, David Boyle is our guest. David, I appreciate you coming on uh, such short notice. I, 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 again, I don't know exactly what happened, but I'm glad that you are. Uh, I'm glad that you're on here and uh, and with us on this. Um, you know, to me, that was one of the most astonishing things that this capacity issue that we we just talked about, um, because that again, that was brought to my attention right before i right before I got on the uh, borough assembly uh, that they were talking about that 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 you know, schools were designed and sold to communities at capacity x. This school will house this many students and then slowly over the course of time we saw school districts you know change things and everything else and all of a sudden a school that was originally sold and designed with 400 students all of a sudden could only hold 325 and and i'm like what changed i mean nothing got smaller i mean nothing you know nothing <laughs> happened the kids didn't get bigger so what exactly is going on and and again it was just one of those things where it was a manipulation of the system to basically say, well, now we need more schools because we've got more kids that won't fit in. the. Th- I mean, this is it's it's really kind of an astonishing end run around what they're selling to the communities.
3: It, it really is, Michael. And I, I wish the legislators would pay attention to that, uh, that factor and what the school districts are doing. Just like you said, the kids aren't getting any larger. Well, some of them are, aren't getting any larger, but uh, they're manipulating. They're they're manipulating the facts. And, um, I call it, well, I guess we could call it misinformation and they need to be called out on it, but my specific legislators, either, you know, in a, um, either in a committee or, or behind closed doors, because they could, they could inc- say they their the capacity uh, has increased even more so, I mean, yeah. or not more so, but decreased because they've increased the requirements again, up to maybe 300 square foot per kid. I mean, where do they stop? I guess they may not stop. Right. But anyway, um, the superintendent of uh, Jeffco uh, County Schools. Well, don't, don't, which, don't, don't uh, Jefferson... get, I,
2: I want to get into the article. Let's not get too far okay. into the article until we return okay. to the air. Cause I do want to, I do want to talk oh, about okay. that, but let's, for just a second, since we got three or four minutes here, um, mm-hmm. let's talk about the numbers. Cause I, I keep mentioning it now. Normally the attendance numbers come out November, right? After they do the count in September, October, it's usually November that the numbers come out.
3: Right, they do. They do the uh, the student count the first three weeks of October, and it's due to the st- state from the districts by November tenth. Um, I've sent two emails to this to DEED asking them where are the numbers and why you know why haven't they been produced? And because Anchorage knows what their numbers are, they've lost um, this year twelve hundred seventy nine students, um, and that's been in the school board meetings. Um, but I, I I haven't gotten an answer from DEED yet. I guess I'll have to do an open records request.
2: So, so nobody which, from DD is responding because normally it's it's it, so it's mandated what by statute that they have to have it to the state by the 10th of November. Mm-hmm. And and then um,
3: is it regulation or statute? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's probably regulation. Okay. But, but, so, but, but why have a requirement nobody meets it?
2: Right. So in twenty twenty two they had nineteen hundred and four of nineteen thousand four hundred and eighty-four students. And you're saying they're already saying that their numbers are down another seventeen hundred students on top of that? Uh
3: twelve hundred and seventy nine. I'm sorry, twelve hundred and seventy-nine. Okay. This school year. Right? Yeah. And they project they're gonna well, they project they're gonna lose more next year. Uh, I don't remember the number. It's so, a very, it's a smaller number.
2: So now they have 8,200 empty positions in, in I mean, it, it's frustrating sure. to see that. Again, how can we make valid decisions or how can we make, you know, informed decisions and informed opinions if we don't have the proper numbers to be able to decide that?
3: I mean, that's. Well, you can't make informed decisions. And that's that's the idea. That's the objective. <laughs> they don't want to make informed decisions. They don't want to be confronted with data and factual information. Uh, they 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 work on the basis of innuendo and opinions. And I I I, I was on the uh, I testified last Saturday on uh, Senate Bill uh, 140, and I was online for four and a half hours, and I was about one of only four to testify, basically against the um, yeah. Senate Bill 140. But I don't have a problem really with them increasing the BSA three hundred dollars. Because there are so many other items in there that are good and you know just uh, between you and me, I have been informed that probably the governor would veto that $300 increase anyway.
2: Well, it's gonna be interesting to see how that that thing plays out in the long run just because of everything. And I know what the legislature was trying to do, what the house was trying to do. They want they want accountability. And instead of just giving a blanket three hundred million, you know, three hundred dollars or or you know, a, a blanket two hundred million dollars, they wanted to say, Okay, we'll give you the two hundred million dollar increase, but it's gotta go into specific areas because you know, you have no accountability, and that's part of the problem here that we're seeing.
3: Um, Right. In the governor, in that bill, he wants, uh, you know, bonuses to go to classroom teachers.
2: Yeah. Uh, All right. um, Well, David, hold hold the line. We're 20 seconds out here. We're going to jump back into it. The Michael Duke show continues. David Boyle is our guest surprise guest. He's been kind enough to come on board. We appreciate that. And we will continue uh, in just a moment. Please like and share. Uh, We've got about half the people who are listening. And I know half of you are not Juno. Um, staffers, So, you know, if you like it, great. If you don't like it, if you hate it, hate, just put the angry button up there. I don't care. Let's just engage. Let's just get more people involved.
0: The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <clears throat> pinch
2: of intellect. <laughs> Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Oh, uh, we repeated it. Sorry about that. Anyway, welcome back to the program. David Boyle is our guest, education advocate. Uh, we're talking with him about his latest article in Must Read Alaska, which uh, which I love um, uh, because I think, again, one of my one of my axioms that I've tried to live my life by is if I want to do something, uh, if I want to go out and, and do something or make something happen, my first My first plan is to always find somebody who's already done it and figure out how they did it and then see if I can adapt it to what I'm doing, Uh, because that just seems to make sense. I mean, experience is the best teacher, especially when it's somebody else's experience. David writes about a school district in Colorado, the Jefferson County uh, uh, School District, Jeffco, and how they have successfully closed. Uh, 16 elementary schools at this point and they're closing four more this year so 20 schools total will be closed and they've had to do it because of declining enrollment Now, here in Alaska, uh, we've talked about this. Some school districts have closed. Fairbanks has closed a few schools. I mean, there's some things that have happened. But this is the one thing that just terrifies, apparently, the education uh, industrial complex where they do not want to close a school because, gasp, people might lose their jobs kind of thing. But when you have 7,000 empty students, uh, empty student seats uh, in capacity in the Anchorage area, for example, in elementary schools— That's a huge – I mean, that's – even if it was a 700-capacity school, that's 10 schools worth of empty seats. Why are we not redrawing the lines? What did Jefferson County find out? Did the world end, uh, David, when they closed these schools? Were they able to close up their fiscal gaps? Did it
3: work out well? Give us the rundown here. Well, uh, Jefferson County did it it right. First of all, they got everybody in, in the district on the same team. With the same mission, and that was to close schools that were excess to the to the uh, student capacity requirements, and um, and you got to commend the uh, superintendent there for that. She stuck to her guns. She laid out a plan. She uh, involved the community, involved the parents, and then when they and, and they listened to the parents. And I, by the way, listened to the parents, um, was it last year when the school district, Anchorage School District was going to uh, close, uh, I believe it was 10 schools were on the list. And they went to every school and held a community meeting, town hall with them. And, you know, to, to, to almost every one of them, uh, every one of the parents in these various schools in Anchorage, for example, complained that, you know, the, the school was the, the center of the neighborhood and their parents had gone to school there and they had gone to school there and their children go to school there. And it was an emotional uh, attachment to the school. And I understand that. Um, But none of those parents mentioned the fact that the schools were really doing a great job in teaching their kids, except at Birchwood. I'll take it back except at Birchwood ABC school, but all the other schools, the parents were only concerned about their emotional attachment and their children having to meet new teachers and new staff and maybe get on a bus and instead of walking to school. So there was nothing about how well those schools were teaching our kids how to read. And that was, to me, I, it was just unbelievable. It, to me, it kind of showed a level of, unfortunately, shallowness from a lot of those parents. And by the way, I'm a military family and my kids have been in five different school districts. So we know what it's like to remove a child from a school every three years or so, move to a different school district, a different state. Um, Kids are flexible. They get over this. They're a lot more flexible than than we parents are. Yeah, and actually, it's kind of good, I found out. The kids become more confident in themselves. They adapt to change much easier than sitting, you know, in the same uh, home, let's say, or state or whatever uh, during their life. But anyway, the superintendent at Jeffco put a great team together and she told them what the mission was, and they all stuck together uh, on on that mission. Uh, she actually, uh, like you said, closed 16 elementary schools, and four more are going to close this year. She put out a very detailed plan on how it was going to work, involved parents, involved the students, and involved the entire staff and the community as well. And uh, when 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 they had these, well, she listened to the parents. But she didn't lose sight of her her job, and that was to close schools because they couldn't afford it anymore, and they were also quote in a budget hole, just like. This is this is across the nation all these school districts are complaining. We got a huge budget deficit and that's because they use COVID money to pay recurring cost one time money for paying salary uh, and uh, benefits of staff members, but. So when, when they pushed back against her, like uh, the article I read was most of the parents pushed back against her. They didn't like what she was doing, but she, she stuck to it and got it done. And she actually, if this, the staff members of one school that was being closed, they took those staff members, for example, the teachers, admin staff, et cetera, and they went to the receiving school that the kids will be going to, various schools, and they actually helped the children, you know, uh, move into those schools. Uh, And and, and it was pretty seamless, apparently, but you you know there and the transportation worked out fine. Um, We have, you know, Anchorage School District in the last year when they're trying to close their 10 schools. Oh, transportation, actually our transportation costs are not going to change, which I don't understand. it increases interesting they close the school building and it costs money
2: yeah it costs them money to close the school well and again is that creative accounting is that uh, is that the same kind of thing where we hide the numbers so that you can't make the decision well now we'll make it look like it costs more to close the building than it does to leave it open uh, I mean a lot of things that to normal people that just doesn't make sense
3: right and i'm actually going to send send a link to uh, the jeffco schools and how they did it i'm going to send it to the anchorage uh, school district the superintendent bryant and the school board and say here you go guys here's a plan on and how to do it and actually you may even want to go down personally and talk to that superintendent down at jeffco schools and the jeffco schools jefferson county schools in in, uh, it's the second largest school district in the state of colorado it's it's a huge It goes, Wheat Ridge is north of Denver, and then it swoops all the way down through Golden, which is Coors Brewery, I guess, (laughs) and then goes down the front, not the front range, but the, um, uh, well, yeah, the the hillside there, and then all the way down around where where actually Columbine High School is, which is a part of that school district. Um, But it can be done, and just like you said, we don't want to invent any more wheels. Uh, Let's just do, find out how they did it. And a lot of school districts are going to have to do this across the nation, not right, just in Alaska.
2: Right. Well, because like we were saying, I mean, the the decline in enrollment is not simply an Alaskan problem. This is a problem across the country. And, and whether it has to do with reproductive rates or, you know, other issues, people pulling their kids out of school or seeing less of a benefit in public schools after COVID, et cetera, et cetera, this is a continuing problem. In fact, you talked about the downward trend saying that the projections are by 2027 we'll have 10,000. Empty seats, essentially, at the elementary level in the Anchorage area, and that's going to be, again, probably played out across the state in various communities. I mean, this is an ongoing problem. Am I am I wrong?
3: No, it's you're correct. Uh, You know, they're going to in Anchorage elementary students, they're only going to have a little sixteen thousand eight hundred twenty six students is their projection in twenty twenty seven, which is not very far off. it's a tremendous decrease, uh, you know. From uh, 2022, it was 19,000 plus then. So they're going to have to, you know. The problem with bureaucracies is they never want to downsize. They always want right, to grow. Right. Right. Any level of government. Uh, have you ever seen any place that that, that downsized ever?
2: Yeah, I mean, not uh, in government. Uh, I mean, uh, we see it in the private sector all the time because they have to answer to the to the revenues and everything else. But not in the not in the public sector, not in public bureaucracies. They want to avoid that kind of pain at all
3: costs. Right we we see we see retail companies across the nation now. You know, a lot of it because of online uh, purchasing that uh, that are shutting down. You know, CVS, Walgreens, uh, Wal- Walmart, they're all closing their stores across the nation because the demand is down and they you know they look at their bottom line for each one of those uh, facilities and retail outlets and they say this one's losing money we're going to have to close it and that's unfortunate but a lot of times they move those employees to a different uh, f- uh, retail outlet in that area but you know you you can't close a school and keep your staff because the staff right. for example in anchorage is 86% of of their operation operating budget is salaries and benefits in the other thing, the other thing playing here is, in Anchorage, they just increased uh, the health insurance payments from the school district to the Public Education Health Trust, which is the NEA. They increased it twenty two thousand eight hundred dollars a year per member for health insurance, and and then they then then they then they cry that health insurance is out of out of whack. It's inflating sixteen percent a year. We can't afford it. And then they what do they do they go ahead and make the taxpayer foot the bill. Right,
2: right. Well, and again, like I said, you close 10 schools, you can't take those 10 janitors and put them in other schools because they've already got, you know. So there has to come a point where you have to realize that if you do have to downsize, if you do have to close buildings, there's going to be a commensurate loss of staff. Maybe some of them can be absorbed. Maybe you can add a few here and there, but the lion's share of them are going to have to go away. Now, if you're crying about a teacher shortage, uh, across the state, here's a way to help with that, because you can move teachers to schools that have empty classrooms. I mean, if you've got only a 65 or 70 percent, uh, you know, programmatic uh, uh, fill rate, well, you can take teachers out of these other schools and put them in the new ones. I mean, it, it you, you, so that you reduce the overall amount of loss, but it's going to have to somebody's going to lose their job and nobody wants to say that
3: you're you're spot on and i i've told a candidate years ago uh, i think he was running against me for school board <laughs> i said you know k12 education it's not a jobs program it's only a jobs program for the graduates of the k12 system not for the staff and and that's unfortunate but people lose their jobs all the time it's i mean and not all the time but many times in, in private industry and the government shouldn't be any different but uh, we shall see by the way the anchorage uh, school district has uh 400 funded vacant positions more than 400 funded big and i did note in in the budget documents that i looked at the other day that one of the one of the big decreases in their staff is guess where teachers yeah the rest of the staff stays the same it's frustrating all right we got to
2: go david boyle thank you so much for coming on board and sharing with us i appreciate it uh keep up the good work my friend thanks for being part of it today thank you michael all right, folks, we are out of time for today. Tomorrow is Firearms Friday. going to jump back into it with some good stuff then. Please stick around. We will see you tomorrow. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I know. gasp somebody might lose their job, you know? I mean, that's, that's part of the problem here, is that nobody, you know, it's like nobody wants to feel the pain. Well, in the public sector, that's part of the problem. Nobody wants to, I mean, live in reality. Um, and Jess, Jess keeps going jess i I, she's got a full thing here which i don't have the time to go into but jess i will just say that I, i hope you don't think that we're on this program blaming the teachers this is a systemic problem this is not a teacher problem per se there are good teachers there are bad teachers i'm sure but i'm not trying to blame this on teachers i'm saying this is a systemic problem in the school systems The fact that you have two to four administrators for every teacher in the school is leading. I mean, if you want to look for a root cause, to me, that's one of the root causes of what we're dealing with here. And the fact that they don't want to live in reality and say, if we have to close schools, then people have to be laid off. I mean, it it just doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense whatsoever. So... I hope, Jess, you're not, you don't think that we're trying to beat down teachers specifically on this. I'm saying that there's a problem, systemic problem, in the whole system. And that there's a lot of protectionism going on from the unions and the powers that be and the people who are invested in this. Some of them who are teachers. But it's not the individual teachers problem that are the problem. I mean, sorry, that's what I'm saying. It's not the individual teachers who are the problem on this. Anyway, my friends we got to go. I appreciate you. Like and share wherever you are, wherever you're watching. If you like it, you can share it. We'll be back tomorrow with more bright and early, 6 a.m. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.